Podcastle 217 for July 17th, 2012. Alibaba and the 40 Thieves, Part 2. Translated by Sir Richard Burton. Rated PG. Hello and welcome back to Podcastle. I'm Dave Thompson, and I think this week we're just going to jump into the second half of our story, Alibaba and the 40 Thieves, translated by Sir Richard Burton and read by the wonderful Steve Anderson. If you haven't listened to the first part of this story, I do recommend you going back and clicking on that one before you listen here. Now, what was that secret password again? Open barley. Open buckwheat. Open canola. Open gluten-free. No, no, that can't be it. Hang on. I got it written down here somewhere. Open sesame and enjoy the story. It so chanced one day when the robbers, as was their wont, came to the treasure cave that they marveled exceedingly to find nor sign nor trace of Cassim's body, whilst they observed that much of gold had been carried off. Quoth the captain, now it behooveth us to make inquiry in this matter, else shall we suffer much of loss, and this our treasure, which we and our forefathers have amassed during the course of many years, will little by little be wasted and spoiled. Here, too, all assented, and with single mind agreed that he whom they had slain had knowledge of the magical words whereby the door was made to open. Moreover, that someone besides him had cognizance of the spell, and had carried off the body, and also much of gold. Wherefore they needs must make diligent research, and find out who the man ever might be. They then took counsel, and determined that one amongst them, who should be sagacious and deft of wit, must don the dress of some merchant from foreign parts. Then, repairing to the city, he must go about from quarter to quarter and from street to street, and learn if any townsman had lately died, and if so, where he was wont to dwell, that with this clue they might be enabled to find the white they sought. Hereat said one of the robbers, Grant me leave that I fare, and find out such tidings in the town, and bring thee word anon. And if I fail of my purpose, I hold my life in forfeit. Accordingly, that bandit, after disguising himself by dress, pushed at night into the town, and next morning early he repaired to the market square, and saw that none of the shops had yet been opened, save only that of Baba Mustafa the tailor, who, thread and needle in hand, sat upon his working stool. The thief bade him good day, and said, "'Tis yet dark. How canst thou see to sew?' Said the tailor, "'I perceive thou art a stranger. Despite my years, my eyesight is so keen that only yesterday I sewed together a dead body whilst sitting in a room quite darkened.' Quoth the bandit thereupon to himself, "'I shall get somewhat of my want from this snip.' And to secure a further clue, he asked, Meseemeth thou wouldst jest with me, and thou meanest that a seer-cloth for a corpse was stitched by thee, and that thy business is to sew shrouds. Answered the tailor, It mattereth not to thee. Question me no more questions. Thereupon the robber placed an ashrafi in his hand, and continued, 
I desire not to discover aught thou hidest, albeit my breast, like every honest man's, is the grave of secrets, and this only what I learn of thee. In what house didst thou do that job? Canst thou direct me thither, or thyself conduct me thereto? The tailor took the gold with greed, and cried, I have not seen with my own eyes the way to that house. A certain bondswoman led me to a place which I know right well, and there she bandaged my eyes and guided me to some tenement, and lastly carried me into a darkened room where lay the dead body dismembered. Then she unbound the kerchief and bade me sew together first the corpse and then the shroud, which, having done, she again blindfolded me and led me back to the stead whence she had brought me and left me there. Thou seest, then, I am not able to tell thee where thou shalt find the house. Quoth the robber, Albeit thou knowest not the dwelling whereof thou speakest, still canst thou take me to the place where thou wast blindfolded. Then I will bind a kerchief over thine eyes, and lead thee as thou wast led. On this wise perchance thou mayest hit upon the sight. And thou wilt do this favor by me. See, here another golden ducat is thine. Thereupon the bandit slipped a second ashrafi into the tailor's palm, and Baba Mustafa thrust it with the first into his pocket. Then, leaving his shop as it was, he walked to the place where Morgiana had tied the kerchief around his eyes, and with him went the robber, who, after binding on the bandage, led him by the hand. Baba Mustafa, who was clever and keen-witted, presently striking the street whereby he had fared with the handmaid, walked on, counting step by step. Then, halting suddenly, he said, Thus far I came with her. And the twain stopped in front of Cassim's house, wherein now dwelt his brother Ali Baba. The robber then made marks with white chalk upon the door, to the end that he might readily find it at some future time and, removing the bandage from the tailor's eyes, said, O oh, Baba Mustafa, I thank thee for this favor, and Almighty Allah guerdon thee for thy goodness. Tell me now, I pray thee, who dwelleth in yonder house? Quoth he, In very sooth I wot not, for I have little knowledge concerning this quarter of the city. And the bandit, understanding that he could find no further clue from the tailor, dismissed him to his shop with abundant thanks and hastened back to the tryst place in the jungle where the band awaited his coming. Not long after it so fortuned that Morgiana, going out upon some errand, marveled exceedingly at seeing the chalk marks showing white in the door. She stood a while deep in thought, and presently divined that some enemy had made the signs that he might recognize the house and play some slight upon her lord. She, therefore, chalked the doors of all her neighbors in like manner, and kept the matter secret, never entrusting it to master or to mistress. Meanwhile the robber told his comrades his tale of adventure, and how he had found the clue. So the captain, and with him all the band, went one after another by different ways till they entered the city, and he who had placed the mark on Ali Baba's door accompanied the chief to point out the place. He conducted him straightway to the house, and showing the sign, exclaimed, Here dwelleth he of whom we are in search. 
But when the captain looked around him, he saw that all the dwellings bore chalk marks after like fashion, and he wondered, saying, By what manner of means knowest thou which house of all these houses that bear similar signs is that whereof thou spokest? Hereat the robber guide was confounded beyond measure of confusion, and could make no answer. Then with an oath he cried, I did assuredly set a sign upon a door, but I know not whence came all the marks upon the other entrances, nor can I say for a surety which it was I chalked. Thereupon the captain returned to the market-place, and said to his men, We have toiled and labored in vain, nor have we found the house we went forth to seek. Return we now to the forest, our rendezvous. I will also fare thither. Then all trooped off and assembled together within the treasure cave, and when the robbers had all met, the captain judged him worthy of punishment who had spoken falsely and had led them through the city to no purpose. So he imprisoned him in presence of them all, and then said he, to him amongst you will I show special favor, who shall go to the town and bring me intelligence whereby we may lay hands upon the plunderer of our property. Hereat another of the company came forward and said, I am ready to go and inquire into the case, and tis I who will bring thee to thy wish. The captain, after giving him presents and promises, dispatched him upon his errand and by the decree of destiny which none may gainsay, this second robber went first to the house of Baba Mustafa the tailor, as had done the thief who had foregone him. In like manner he also persuaded the snip with gifts of golden coin that he be led hoodwinked, and thus too he was guided to Ali Baba's door. Here, noting the work of his predecessor, he affixed to the jam a mark with red chalk, the better to distinguish it from the others, whereon still showed the white. Then hied he back in stealth to his company. But Morgiana on her part also described the red sign on the entrance, and with subtle forethought marked all the others after the same fashion, nor told she any what she had done. Meanwhile the bandit rejoined his band, and vauntingly said, Oh, our captain, I have found the house, and thereon put a mark whereby I shall distinguish it clearly from all its neighbors. But as aforetime, when the troop repaired thither, they saw each and every house marked with signs of red chalk. So they returned disappointed, and the captain, waxing displeased exceedingly and distraught, clapped also this spy into jail. Then said the chief to himself, Two men have failed in their endeavor, and have met their rightful meed of punishment. I trow that none other of my band will essay to follow up their research. So I myself will go and find the house of this white. Accordingly he fared along, and, aided by the tailor Baba Mustafa, who had gained much gain of golden pieces in this matter, he hit upon the house of Ali Baba and here he made no outward show or sign, but marked it on the tablet of his heart, and impressed the picture upon the page of his memory. Then, returning to the jungle, he said to his men, I have full cognizance of the place, and have limbed it clearly in my mind, so now there will be no difficulty in finding it. 
Go forth straightway, and buy me, and bring hither nineteen mules, together with one large leathern jar of mustard oil, and seven and thirty vessels of the same kind, clean empty. Without me and the two locked up in jail, ye number thirty-seven souls. So I will stow you away, armed and accoutred, each within his jar, and will load two upon each mule. And upon the nineteenth mule there shall be a man in an empty jar on one side, and on the other the jar full of oil. I, for my part, in guise of an oil merchant, will drive the mules into the town, arriving at the house by night, and will ask permission of its master to tarry there until morning. After this we shall seek occasion during the dark hours to rise up and fall upon him and slay him. Furthermore the captain spake, saying, when we have made an end of him, we shall recover the gold and treasure whereof he robbed us, and bring it back upon the mules. This counsel pleased the robbers, who went forthwith and purchased mules and huge leathern jars, and did as the captain had bidden them. And after a delay of three days, shortly before nightfall, they arose, and, oversmearing all the jars with oil of mustard, each hid him inside an empty vessel. The chief then disguised himself in trader's gear, and placed the jars upon the nineteen mules, to wit the thirty-seven vessels in each of which lay a robber armed and accoutred, and the one that was full of oil. This done, he drove the beasts before him, and presently he reached Ali Baba's place at nightfall, when it chanced that the housemaster was strolling after supper to and fro in front of his home. The captain saluted him with a salaam, and said, I come from such and such a village with oil, and oft times have I been here a-selling oil. But now, to my grief, I have arrived too late, and I am sore troubled and perplexed as to where I shall spend the night. And thou have pity on me, I pray thee grant that I tarry here in thy courtyard, and ease the mules by taking down the jars, and giving the beasts somewhat of fodder. Albeit Ali Baba had heard the captain's voice when perched upon the tree, and had seen him enter the cave, yet by reason of the disguise he knew him not for the leader of the thieves, and granted his request with hearty welcome, and gave him full license to halt there for the night. He then pointed out an empty shed wherein to tether the mules, and bade one of the slave boys go fetch grain and water. He also gave orders to the slave-girl Morgiana, saying, A guest hath come hither, and tarrieth here to-night. Do thou busy thyself with all speed about his supper, and make ready the guest-bed for him. Presently, when the captain had let down all the jars, and had fed and watered his mules, Ali Baba received him with all courtesy and kindness, and, summoning Morgiana, said in his presence, See thou fail not in service of this our stranger, nor suffer him to lack for aught. To-morrow early I would fare to the hammam and bathe, so do thou give my slave-boy Abdullah a suit of clean white clothes which I may put on after washing. Moreover, make thee ready a somewhat of broth overnight, that I may drink it after my return home. Replied she, I will have all in readiness as thou hast bidden. So Ali Baba returned to his rest, and the captain, having supped, repaired to the shed, and saw that all the mules had their food and drink for the night, and, finding utter privacy, whispered to his men who were in ambush, 
This night at midnight, when ye hear my voice, do you quickly open with your sharp knives the leathern jars from top to bottom, and issue forth without delay. Then, passing through the kitchen, he reached the chamber wherein a bed had been dispread for him, Morgiana showing the way with a lamp. Quoth she, And thou need aught beside, I pray thee command this thy slave, who is ever ready to obey thy say. He made answer, Naught else need I. Then, putting out the light, he lay down on the bed to sleep a while, ere the time came to rouse his men and finish off the work. Meanwhile, Morgiana did as her master had bidden her. She first took out a suit of clean white clothes and made it over to Abdullah, who had not yet gone to rest. Then she placed the pigskin upon the hearth to boil the broth and blew the fire till it burnt briskly. After a short delay, she needs must see and the broth be boiling. But by that time all the lamps had gone out, and she found that the oil was spent, and that nowhere could she get a light. The slave-boy Abdullah observed that she was troubled and perplexed hereat, and quoth he to her, Why make so much ado? In yonder shed are many jars of oil. Go now and take as much soever as thou listest. Morgiana gave thanks to him for his suggestion, and Abdullah, who was lying at his ease in the hall, went off to sleep, so that he might wake the times and serve Ali Baba in the bath. So the handmaiden rose, and with oil can in hand, walked to the shed where stood the leathern jars all ranged in rows. Now as she drew nigh unto one of the vessels, the thief who was hidden therein, hearing the tread of footsteps, bethought him that it was of his captain whose summons he awaited. So he whispered, Is it now time for us to sally forth? Morgiana started back, affrighted at the sound of human accents. But inasmuch as she was bold and ready of wit, she replied, The time is not yet come, and said to herself, These jars are not full of oil, and herein I perceive a manner of mystery. <gasps> Haply the oil merchant hatcheth some treacherous plot against my lord. So Allah, the compassionating, the compassionate, protect us from his snares. Wherefore she answered in a voice made like to the captain's, Not yet, the time is not come. Then she went to the next jar, and returned the same reply to him who was within, and soon to all the vessels one by one. Then said she in herself, Lord to the Lord, my master took this fellow in, believing him to be an oil merchant, but lo, he hath admitted a band of robbers who only await the signal to fall upon him and plunder the place and do him die. Then passed she on to the furthest jar, and, finding it brimming with oil, filled her can, and, returning to the kitchen, trimmed the lamp and lit the wicks. Then, bringing forth a large cauldron, she set it upon the fire and, filling it with oil from out the jar, heaped wood upon the hearth, and fanned it to a fierce flame, the readier to boil its contents. When this was done, she bailed it out in potfuls, and poured it seething hot into the leathern vessels, one by one, while the thieves, unable to escape, were scalded to death, and every jar contained a corpse. Thus did this slave-girl, by her subtle wit, make a clean end of all, noiselessly and unknown even to the dwellers in the house.
Now, when she had satisfied herself that each and every of the men had been slain, she went back to the kitchen and, shutting to the door, sat brewing Ali Baba's broth. Scarce had an hour passed before the captain woke from sleep, and, opening wide his window, saw that all was dark and silent. So he clapped his hands as a signal for his men to come forth, but not a sound was heard in return. After a while he clapped again and called aloud, but got no answer, and when he cried out a third time without reply he was perplexed and went out to the shed wherein stood the jars. He thought to himself, Perchance all are fallen asleep, when as the time for action is now at hand, so I must e'en awaken them without stay or delay. Then, approaching the nearest jar, he was startled by a smell of oil and seething flesh, and touching it outside, he felt it reeking hot. Then, going to the others one by one, he found all in like condition. Hereat he knew for a surety the fate which had betided his band, and, fearing for his own safety, he clomb upon the wall, and thence dropping into a garden made his escape in high dudgeon and sore disappointment. Morgiana awaited a while to see the captain return from the shed, but he came not, whereat she knew that he had scaled the wall and had taken to flight, for that the street door was double-locked. And the thieves being all disposed of on this wise, Morgiana laid her down to sleep in perfect solace and ease of mind. When two hours of darkness yet remained, Ali Baba awoke and went to the hammam, knowing naught of the night adventure, for the gallant slave-girl had not aroused him, nor, indeed, had she deemed such action expedient, because, had she sought an opportunity of reporting to him her plan, she might haply have lost her chance and spoiled the project. The sun was high over the horizon when Ali Baba walked back from the baths and he marveled exceedingly to see the jars still standing under the shed, and said, How cometh it that he, the oil merchant, my guest, hath not carried to the market his mules and jars of oil? She answered, Allah Almighty vouchsafe to thee six score years and ten of safety. I will tell thee in privacy of this merchant. So Ali Baba went apart with his slave-girl, who, taking him without the house, first locked the court door, then, showing him a jar, she said, Prithee, look into this, and see if within there be oil or aught else. Thereupon, peering inside it, he perceived a man, at which sight he cried aloud, and fain would have fled in his fright. Quoth Morgiana, Fear him not, this man hath no longer the force to work thee harm, he lieth dead, and stone dead. Hearing such words of comfort and reassurance, Ali Baba asked, O oh, Morgiana, what evils have we escaped, and by what means hath this wretch become the quarry of fate? She answered, Alhamdulillah, praise be to Almighty Allah, I will inform thee fully of the case. But hush thee, speak not aloud, lest haply the neighbors learn the secret, and it end in our confusion. Look now into all the jars, one by one, from first to last. So Ali Baba examined them severally, and found in each a man fully armed and accoutred, and all lay scalded to death. Hereat, speechless for sheer amazement, he stared at the jars. But presently recovering himself, he asked, 
and where is he, the oil merchant? Answered she, of him also I will inform thee. The villain was no traitor, but a traitorous assassin, whose honeyed words would have ensnared thee to thy doom. And now I will tell thee what he was, and what hath happened. But meanwhile thou art fresh from the hammam, and thou shouldst first drink somewhat of this broth for thy stomach's and thy health's sake. So Ali Baba went within, and Morgiana served up the mess. After which, quoth her master, I fain would hear this wondrous story. Prithee, tell it to me, and set my heart at ease. Hereat the handmaid fell to relating what so had betided in these words. O oh, my master, when thou badest me boil the broth, and retiredest to rest, thy slave, in obedience to thy command, took out a suit of clean white clothes, and gave it to the boy Abdullah, then kindled the fire, and set on the broth. As soon as it was ready, I had need to light a lamp, so that I might see to skim it, but all the oil was spent. And, learning this, I told my want to the slave-boy Abdullah, who advised me to draw somewhat from the jars which stood under the shed. Accordingly, I took a can and went to the first vessel, when suddenly I heard a voice within whisper with all caution, Is it now time for us to sally forth? I was amazed thereat, and judged that the pretended merchant had laid some plot to slay thee. So I replied, The time is not yet come. Then I went to the second jar, and heard another voice, to which I made the like answer, and so on with all of them. I now was certified that these men awaited only some signal from their chief, whom thou didst take to guest within thy walls, supposing him to be a merchant in oil, and that after thou receivest him hospitably, the miscreant had brought these men to murder thee, and to plunder thy good, and spoil thy house." but I gave him no opportunity to will his wish. The last jar I found full of oil, and taking somewhat therefrom, I lit the lamp. Then, putting a large cauldron upon the fire, I filled it up with oil which I brought from the jar, and made a fierce blaze under it. And when the contents were seething hot, I took out sundry cans full, with intent to scald them all to death and going to each jar in due order, I poured within them, one by one, boiling oil. On this wise, having destroyed them utterly, I returned to the kitchen, and, having extinguished the lamps, stood by the window, watching what might happen, and how that false merchant would act next. Not long after I had taken my station, the robber captain awoke, and oft-times signaled to his thieves. Then, getting no reply, he came downstairs and went out to the jars, and finding that all his men were slain, he fled through the darkness, I know not whither. So when he had clean disappeared, I was assured that, the door being double-locked, he had scaled the wall and dropped into the garden and made his escape. Then, with my heart at rest, I slept." And Morgiana, after telling her story to her master, presently added, this is the whole truth I have related to thee. For some days, indeed, have I had inkling of such matter, but withheld it from thee, deeming it inexpedient to risk the chance of his meeting the neighbor's ears. Now, however, there is no help but to tell thee thereof. One day, as I came to the house door, I espied thereon a white chalk mark, and on the next day a red sign beside the white. I knew not the intent wherewith the marks were made. 
Nevertheless, I set others upon the entrances of sundry neighbors, judging that some enemy had done this deed, whereby to encompass my master's destruction. Therefore I made the marks on all the other doors in such perfect conformity with those I found that it would be hard to distinguish amongst them. Judge now, and see if these signs and all this villainy be not the work of the bandits of the forest, who marked our house that on such wise they might know it again. Of these forty thieves there yet remain two others concerning whose case I know not, so beware of them, but chiefly of the third remaining robber, their captain, who fled hence alive. Take good heed, and be thou cautious of him, for shouldst thou fall into his hands, he will in no wise spare thee, but will surely murder thee. I will do all that lieth in me to save from hurt and harm thy life and property, nor shall thy slave be found wanting in any service to my lord. Hearing these words, Ali Baba rejoiced with exceeding joyance, and said to her, I am well pleased with thee for this thy conduct and say me what wouldst thou have me do in thy behalf. I shall not fail to remember thy brave deed so long as breath in me remaineth. Quoth she, It behoveth us before all things forthright to bury these bodies in the ground, that so the secret shall not be known to any one. Hereupon Ali Baba took with him his slave-boy Abdullah into the garden, and there, under a tree, they dug for the corpses of the thieves a deep pit in size proportionate to its contents, and they dragged the bodies, having carried off their weapons, to the fosse and threw them in. Then, covering up the remains of the seven-and-thirty robbers, they made the ground appear level and clean as it was wont to be. They also hid the leathern jars and the gear and arms and presently Ali Baba sent the mules by ones and twos to the bazaar and sold them all with the able aid of his slave-boy Abdullah. Thus the matter was hushed up, nor did it reach the ears of any. However, Ali Baba ceased not to be ill at ease, lest haply the captain or the surviving two robbers should wreak their vengeance on his head. He kept himself private with all caution, and took heed that none learn a word of what had happened and of the wealth which he had carried off from the bandit's cave. Meanwhile the captain of the thieves, having escaped with his life, fled to the forest in hot wrath and sore irk of mind, and his senses were scattered, and the color of his visage vanished like ascending smoke. Then he thought the matter over again and again, and at last he firmly resolved that he needs must take the life of Ali Baba, else he would lose all the treasure which his enemy, by knowledge of the magical words, would take away and turn to his own use. Furthermore, he determined that he would undertake the business single-handed, and that after getting rid of Ali Baba, he would gather together another band of banditti, and would pursue his career of brigandage, as indeed his forebears had done for many generations. So he lay down to rest that night, and rising early in the morning, donned a dress of suitable appearance, then going to the city, alighted at a caravanserai, thinking to himself, Doubtless the murder of so many men hath reached the Wali's ears, and Ali Baba hath been seized and brought to justice, and his house is leveled and his good is confiscated. 
The town folk must surely have heard tidings of these matters. So he straightway asked of the keeper of the Khan, What strange things have happened in this city during the last few days? And the other told him all that he had seen and heard, but the captain could not learn a whit of that which most concerned him. Hereby he understood that Ali Baba was ware and wise, and that he had not only carried away such store of treasure, but he had also destroyed so many lives, and withal had come off scatheless. Furthermore, that he himself must needs have all his wits alert not to fall into the hands of his foe and perish. With this resolve the captain hired a shop in the bazaar, whither he bore whole bales of the finest stuffs and goodly merchandise from his forest treasure-house, and presently he took his seat within the store and fell to doing merchant's business. By chance his place fronted the booth of the defunct Cassim, where his son, Ali Baba's nephew, now traded, and the captain, who called himself Khwaja Hassan, soon formed acquaintance and friendship with the shopkeepers about him, and treated all with profuse civilities. But he was especially gracious and cordial to the son of Cassim, a handsome youth and a well-dressed, and oft-times he would sit and chat with him for a long while. A few days after it chanced that Ali Baba, as he was sometimes wont to do, came to see his nephew, whom he found sitting in his shop. The captain saw and recognized him at sight, and one morning he asked the young man, saying, Prithee, tell me, who is he that ever and anon cometh to thee at thy place of sale? Whereto the youth made answer, He is my uncle, the brother of my father. Whereupon the captain showed him yet greater favor and affection, the better to deceive him for his own devices, and gave him presents, and made him sit at meat with him, and fed him with the daintiest of dishes. Presently Ali Baba's nephew bethought him it was only right and proper that he also should invite the merchant to supper. But whereas his own house was small, and he was straitened for room, and could not make a show of splendor, as did Quasha Hassan, he took counsel with his uncle on the matter. Ali Baba replied to his nephew, Thou sayest well. It behooveth thee to entreat thy friend in fairest fashion, even as he hath entreated thee. On the morrow, which is Friday, shut thy shop, as do all merchants of repute. Then, after the early meal, take Quasha Hassan to smell the air, and as thou walkest, lead him hither unawares. Meanwhile I will give orders that Morgiana shall make ready for his coming the best of viands and all necessaries for a feast. Trouble not thyself on any wise, but leave the matter in my hands. Accordingly, on the next day, to wit, Friday, the nephew of Ali Baba took Quaja Hassan to walk about the garden, and as they were returning he led him by the street wherein his uncle dwelt. When they came to the house, the youth stopped at the door, and, knocking, said, Oh, my lord, this is my second home. My uncle hath heard much of thee, and of thy goodness meward, and desireth with exceeding desire to see thee. So, shouldst thou consent to enter and visit him, I shall be truly glad and thankful to thee. Albeit Quasha Hassan rejoiced in heart that he had thus found means whereby he might have access to his enemy's house and household, and although he hoped soon to attain his end by treachery, yet he hesitated to enter in, and stood to make his excuses and walk away. 
But when the door was opened by the slave porter, Ali Baba's nephew seized his companion's hand and after abundant persuasion led him in, whereat he entered with great show of cheerfulness as though much pleased and honored. The housemaster received him with all favor and worship and asked him of his welfare and said to him, O oh, my lord, I am obliged and thankful to thee for that thou hast shown favor to the son of my brother, and I perceive that thou regardest him with an affection even fonder than my own. Quaja Hassan replied with pleasant words and said, Thy nephew vastly taketh my fancy, and in him I am well pleased, for that although young in years he hath been endued by Allah with much of wisdom. Thus they twain conversed with friendly conversation and presently the guest rose to depart and said, O oh, my lord, thy slave must now farewell thee, but on some future day, inshallah, he will again wait upon thee. Ali Baba, however, would not let him leave, and asked, Whither wendest thou, O my friend? I would invite thee to my table, and I pray thee sit at meat with us, and after hie thee home in peace. Perchance the dishes are not as delicate as those whereof thou art wont to eat. Still, deign, grant me this request, I pray thee, and refresh thyself with my victual. Quoth Quaja Hassan, O oh, Lord, I am beholden for thy gracious invitation, and with pleasure would I sit at meat with thee. But for a special reason must I needs excuse myself. Suffer me, therefore, to depart, for I may not tarry longer, nor accept thy gracious offer. Hereto the host made reply, I pray thee, O my lord, tell me what may be the reason so urgent and weighty. And Quasha Hassan answered, The cause is this. I must not, by order of the physician who cured me lately of my complaint, eat aught of food prepared with salt. Quoth Ali Baba, And this be all, deprive me not, I pray thee, of the honor thy company will confer upon me. As the meats are not yet cooked, I will forbid the kitchener to make use of any salt. Tarry here a while, and I will return anon to thee. So saying, Ali Baba went in to Morgiana, and bade her not put salt into any one of the dishes. And she, while busied with her cooking, fell to marveling greatly at such order, and asked her master, Who is he that eateth meat, wherein is no salt? He answered, what to thee mattereth who he may be? Only do thou my bidding. She rejoined, Tis well, all shall be as thou wishest. But in mind she wondered at the man who made such strange request, and desired much to look upon him. Wherefore, when all the meats were ready for serving up, she helped the slave-boy Abdullah to spread the table and set on the meal. And no sooner did she see Quaja Hassan than she knew who he was, albeit he had disguised himself in the dress of a stranger merchant. Furthermore, when she eyed him attentively, she espied a dagger hidden under his robe. So, quoth she to herself, this is the reason why the villain eateth not of salt, for that he seeketh an opportunity to slay my master, whose mortal enemy he is. Howbeit I will be beforehand with him, and dispatch him, ere he find a chance to harm my lord. Now, when Ali Baba and Quaja Hassan had eaten their sufficiency, the slave-boy Abdullah brought Morgiana word to serve the dessert, and she cleared the table, and set on fruit fresh and dried in salvers. Then she placed by the side of Ali Baba a small tripod for three cups with a flagon of wine 
and lastly she went off with the slave boy Abdullah into another room as though she would herself eat supper. Then Khwaja Hassan, that is, the captain of the robbers, perceiving that the coast was clear, exulted mightily, saying to himself, The time hath come for me to take full vengeance. With one thrust of my dagger I will dispatch this fellow, then escape across the garden and wend my ways. His nephew will not adventure to stay my hand, for an he do but move a finger or toe without intent, another stab will settle his earthly account. Still must I wait a while until the slave boy and the cook-maid shall have eaten and lain down to rest in the kitchen. Morgiana, however, watched him wistfully, and divining his purpose, said in her mind, I must not allow this villain advantage over my lord, but by some means I must make void his project, and at once put an end to the life of him. Accordingly, the trusty slave-girl changed her dress with all haste, and donned such clothes as dancers wear. She veiled her face with a costly kerchief, around her head she bound a fine turban, and about her middle she tied a waist-cloth worked with gold and silver wherein she stuck a dagger whose hilt was rich in filigree and jewellery. Thus disguised, she said to the slave-boy Abdullah, Take now thy tambourine, that we may play and sing and dance in honour of our master's guest. So he did her bidding, and the twain went into the room, the lad playing and the lass following. Then, making a low conge, they asked leave to perform and to sport and play, and Ali Baba gave permission, saying, Dance now, and do your best, that this our guest may be mirthful and merry. Quoth Quaja Hassan, O oh, my lord, thou dost indeed provide much pleasant entertainment. Then the slave-boy Abdullah, standing by, began to strike the tambourine, whilst Morgiana rose up and showed her perfect art, and pleased them vastly with graceful steps and sportive motion and suddenly, drawing the poniard from her belt, she brandished it and paced from side to side, a spectacle which pleased them most of all. At times also she stood before them, now clapping the sharp-edged dagger under armpit and then setting it against her breast. Lastly she took the tambourine from the slave-boy Abdullah, and, still holding the poniard in her right, she went round for largesse, as is the custom amongst merrymakers. First she stood before Ali Baba, who threw a gold coin into the tambourine, and his nephew likewise put in an ashrafi. Then Quaja Hassan, seeing her about to approach him, fell to pulling out his purse, when she heartened her heart, and, quick as the blinding leaven, she plunged the dagger into his vitals, and forthwith the miscreant fell back stone dead. Ali Baba was dismayed, and cried in his wrath, O oh, unhappy, what is this deed thou hast done to bring about my ruin? But she replied, Nay, O oh my lord, rather to save thee, and not to cause thee harm, have I slain this man. Loosen his garments, and see what thou wilt discover thereunder. So Ali Baba searched the dead man's dress, and found concealed therein a dagger. Then said Morgiana, this wretch was thy deadly enemy. Consider him well. He is none other than the oil merchant, the captain of the band of robbers. When, as he came hither with intent to take thy life, he would not eat thy salt. And when thou toldest me that he wished not any in the meat, I suspected him. And at first sight I was assured that he would surely do thee die. 
Almighty Allah be praised, tis even as I thought. Then Ali Baba lavished upon her thanks and expressions of gratitude, saying, Lo, these two times hast thou saved me from his hand. And falling upon her neck, he cried, See, thou art free, and as reward for this thy fealty, I have wedded thee to my nephew. Then, turning to the youth, he said, Do as I bid thee, and thou shalt prosper. I would that thou marry Morgiana, who is a model of duty and loyalty. Thou seest now, yon Quaja Hassan sought thy friendship only that he might find opportunity to take my life. But this maiden, with her good sense and her wisdom, hath slain him and saved us. Ali Baba's nephew straightway consented to marry Morgiana, after which the three, raising the dead body, bore it forth with all heed and vigilance and privily buried it in the garden, and for many years no one knew aught thereof. In due time Ali Baba married his brother's son to Morgiana with great pomp and spread a bride-feast in most sumptuous fashion for his friends and neighbors, and made merry with them, and enjoyed singing and all manner of dancing and amusements. He prospered in every undertaking, and time smiled upon him, and a new source of wealth was opened to him. For fear of the thieves, he had not once visited the jungle cave wherein lay the treasure since the day he had carried forth the corpse of his brother Cassim. But some time after he mounted his hackney one morning and journeyed thither with all care and caution, till, finding no signs of man or horse, and reassured in his mind, he ventured to draw near the door. Then, alighting from his beast, he tied it up to a tree, and, going to the entrance, pronounced the words which he had not forgotten, Open sesame! Hereat, as was its wont, the door flew open and entering thereby he saw the goods and hoard of gold and silver untouched and lying as he had left them. So he felt assured that not one of all the thieves remained alive, and that, save himself, there was not a soul who knew the secret of the place. At once he bound in his saddle-cloth a load of ashrafes such as his horse could bear, and brought it home and in after days he showed the hoard to his sons and sons' sons, and taught them how the door could be caused to open and shut. Thus Ali Baba and his household lived all their lives in wealth and joyance in that city where erst he had been a pauper, and by the blessing of that secret treasure he rose to high degree and dignities. And welcome back. Please remember, if the woman of your household slays 20 enemy bandits intent on doing you harm, you might want to follow her instinct about weirdos who won't eat salted meat. Unless second-guessing her means she's going to do a dance with dessert, which in that case, okay. Even after she kills the bandit captain, Alibaba's all, what'd you do that for? Sometimes I think this story really should have been called... Alibaba and Morgiana and the Forty Thieves. Well, maybe there will be a sequel. Seriously, though, I really love getting a fix of these classic stories, and one of the things Anna and I want to do is point back to some of these stories and characters that have had such an influence on the fantasy genre as a whole, 
and we thank you for coming along for the ride. But as much as I enjoy reading these stories, I love, love, love listening to them, especially when they're read by a guy as talented as Steve Anderson. He really breathes life into these characters, and if you haven't already, visit Steve at his newly revamped website, sgacreative.com. He's available for all your voice acting needs. Tell him Dave sent you. Okay, let's turn back the clock again, but not quite so far. Only a few weeks ago, to feedback. This time for David W. Goldman's The Axiom of Choice, read by Eric Luke. It was the story of the power of choice, told with a choose-your-own-adventure style. Generally, it looks like this one was a big favorite for our forumites. Check out Ka, who said, Often when I see a podcast that's an hour long, I inwardly groan because it means I'll have to spend three commutes listening to it. I ended up taking the long way home, half an hour out of my way, because I wanted to hear the end tonight instead of tomorrow. This was a work of art, a truly enjoyable, if bizarre, story. I found myself saying things like, Come on, man, 714, 714! Ah, you idiot! Well, thanks for sticking with it, Ka. Zero T. Katama said, Wow, I've just come out of lurking to say this was fan-freaking-tastic. Not just on a literary level, but also a life lesson level, which I think it was going for. After listening to it, I took a little while to reflect on choices made. Also, I now have two slogans I want for my first tattoos. Sound mind and a sound body, and with this story, you always have a choice. Seriously, thank you so much for this story. Maybe it won't turn my life around, but it's given it a nudge in the right direction. Wow, thank you for that. Uh, it was a bit overwhelming in the opposite respect for a couple listeners, like Zonin, who said... While I love the concept and execution of this story, I got so depressed halfway through that I switched to Pseudopod to cheer me up. Huh. Well, thanks for that. You made me smile without even having to turn on Pseudopod or feed anyone to them. You hear that, Fenrix? We stole another one. Seriously, there were a lot of great comments on this one. Turn to forum.escapeartist.net to read them all, particularly A.C. Proct, who wrote his an amazing choose-your-own-adventure style. I wish I could read it to you, but you really would need some kind of choose-your-own-adventure app, and I'm just not that talented. If you like what we're doing, please visit podcastle.org and consider making a donation. It's how we're able to keep our podcastle safe from the hand of bandits, and share all our rich storytelling spoils with all of you. If you can't donate, please blog, tweet, Facebook, write a review on iTunes, or tell a friend about us. Thank you so much. Well, that was our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of everyone here at PodCastle, I want to thank you for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next time with a more contemporary and deadly more serious tale from Caspian Grey. Until then, ho, oh, my lords and ladies, mark how we do provide such pleasant entertainment. Never mind the knife in my hand. See you in a week. PodCastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. 
You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Terry Pratchett said, Give a man a fire and he's warm for a day. But set fire to him and he's warm for the rest of his life. <laughs>